Thank you for tuning in to episode 36 of Spencer Talks About Stuff. If you have an Instagram, please follow my Instagram page at Spencer Talks About Stuff, where I will be posting clips from the show. Today is a very special episode. Matt Dickinson is the guest. We actually already recorded almost a two-hour episode that I accidentally deleted. I did not save the episode on my computer, and I turned off power to my office, was unable to recover the episode, so... Luckily, this guest is a good friend of mine. He came back over. We shot the shit. We tried to save the world, talking about everything from politics to healthcare to his new career that he's starting. And uh, it was a super fun episode. There are no amendments today. And the only place I want to give a shout out to is Big Bun. Big Bun has been saving me and my wife's life right now because we're redoing our kitchen. We have limited capacity to cook, and we've been making a lot of trips over to Big Bun. So Big Bun's located on the corner of Curtis and Overland. Their Western Bacon Burger is awesome. Their Cookie Monster Shake is awesome. Their tots, their fries, everything in between. We love going to that place. So Big Bun on the corner of Curtis and Overland. When you go there, you're supporting local. They're an awesome, awesome company. I think they've been around since like 1958. So I highly recommend you go there if you're craving a burger. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts to Spencer Talks About Stuff and follow Spencer Talks About Stuff on Spotify. Please leave me a five-star review on Apple and write a review to let people know what you think about the show. Without further ado, here is episode 36 with Matt Dickinson. All right, welcome to episode 36 of Spencer Talks About Stuff. It's crazy that it's already 36. It's awesome. I have, we were just talking about this, the third repeat guest on the podcast, Matt Dickinson, but due to technical difficulties and Spencer's fault, <laughs> I accidentally deleted the first episode. So Matt Dickinson, how's it going? I'm doing awesome. Happy to be here. Right on. Pull, pull the mic just a little bit closer. All right. How's that? It's perfect. All right. All right. Um, so I, I don't know how much uh, stuff we want to rehash what we talked about last time. Whatever you want. Well, I know you have a major change in your life happening, <laughs> yeah. and I don't know how much you want to talk about that. Sure. But no. Um Yeah, we can get into it for sure. Okay. So I gave my two weeks notice at my current job this week because I'm going out on my own and starting my own business. Um it's something I've wanted to do for a long time. And I guess for anybody that doesn't know what I do, I'm a pharmacist, but I kind of have a different when when you think of pharmacists, you typically think of people that work retail. So they work in Walgreens or Walmart or something like that behind a counter count pills. If you know a little bit more about pharmacists, you probably might know people work in the hospital on the floor, or they might, you know, I think we talked last time about some of the pharmacists coming to codes and things like that in the hospital, but I have a kind of a different role. It's called managed care pharmacy. And basically I work behind a desk. I review spreadsheets. It's really the business side of pharmacy. So I work eight to five Monday through Friday, uh, my phone rings occasionally, whereas <laughs> all of my other buddies and, and, and friends that work in pharmacy, whichever pharmacy world it is, have pretty regimented, crazy jobs are on the phone a lot, you know, clarifying orders and dispensing meds one way or another. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a totally different avenue of pharmacy and I absolutely love it. Um, so anyway, my business that I'm starting is essentially working with self-employed groups to help them understand where their dollars are going in the, in a pharmacy sense. So 
what I mean by that is if you're a big company like Micron or Simplot or Amazon or Boeing, basically they are responsible for every healthcare dollar that their employees have. So if they get in a car accident and it's $50,000 for their medical bills, yes, the employee pays premiums and the employer pays a premium to the health insurance company, but ultimately the risk and the dollars that go towards the hospital to pay for those actually come from the employer. So for a big company like Micron or Simplot or Boeing, when they do have those car accidents and, and unforeseeable things, usually they can account for it. There's other types of insurance that they can get to help out if there is a catastrophic event. But the problem is, is that some of the smaller employers, people that are, um, I don't want to name names, but if it's a company that maybe has a hundred employees or maybe even a couple thousand employees, basically they have far less insight into what, where their dollars are going. Okay. They, they don't have near the coordination, the, um, the relationship with the big health insurance companies or with their pharmacy benefit managers, because quite honestly, they don't care Yeah, if they lose one of those clients, you know, what's a couple hundred people, but if they lose Boeing, you know, that's, that's a lot of people's jobs are going to be lost. Yeah. Um, so really my focus is on those clients that don't really know where their dollars are going because for the most part, health plans and pharmacy benefit managers, they make, they don't make a lot of money on the big boys as contrary. It's, you know, counterintuitive as it might seem because they have so much volume, but they have. So, so the amount of volume is offset by like how cheap it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. They, they take tiny, tiny spread on those clients because it's so important to have that membership and that revenue to drive um, processes and have additional staff. Whereas the smaller companies, they have to take a lot bigger margin because it's a little more volatile and, and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's the smaller businesses that kind of get screwed by the yeah. whole thing. So that's essentially what we're doing. So I've been working on it a long time and just secured a couple big contracts that can kind of kickstart me into the next um, phase of everything. And so took the plunge and uh, gave up the cush job that I've been, you know, working from home and enjoying a lot of perks there, good benefits, good pay. My boss is great. I have a team of nurses and pharmacy techs and pharmacists on my uh, business analysts that are all really great people. And it, it's, it's tough to walk away, but the chance to work for myself is really exciting. So I'm looking That's forward awesome. to it. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I know I texted you the other day and I said, it has to feel kind of liberating. Yeah. Um, it, every time I've left a job and started a new job, it always like reinvigorates me and it like, it does feel liberating. Like, Oh my God, I don't have to do that one thing yeah. anymore. And I look forward <laughs> to like something else to do. You know, we were, there's a few things. I mean, I, I, like I said, I really love my job, but there are a few things that I have to do every quarter or every month or things like that, that I'm definitely excited that I don't have to do. And yeah. I was just having that conversation with my boss today about, okay, well now that I'm gone, who's going to do this thing next quarter? And yeah. Have fun with that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, those little things, but it's, it's crazy. It's cool to get everything set up and talking with attorneys and accountants and figuring out how, what needs to happen where and, and what I need and just being a one man band and trying to do it all on my own. It's, it's great for me. Cause that's how I like to operate is understand everything rather than like delegating things to people. And it, it's, it's great. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It is hard sometimes like I like being in control of a lot of things and it's hard letting something go. And when it comes back and it's like not quite how you like it, right? like keeping your mouth shut about it, you know, it is <laughs> tough sometimes, but yeah. 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 No, it's been, 
it's been wild so far. Um, and just looking forward to, to getting started. Well, I mean, kind of already getting started, but uh, yeah. really getting my feet running and not having um, Blue Cross to be worrying about going yeah. forward. So. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, it's not that I dislike my current job, but working for a giant corporation sucks sometimes yeah. because it is so hard to steer the ship and you know, you have a thousand other people wanting to do different things and to get like one tiny little win against the whole system is like so hard to do. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. There's so much red tape. Um, you know, it, yeah, it, I I agree about steering the ship thing. I was kind of thinking about it several years ago when I first got into managed care pharmacy of, you know, people would be like, Oh, well you work for blue cross. Like, I hate blue cross and I hate everything about it. And so you must be a horrible person. And yeah. like, no, you don't understand is I see the opportunities. I see the challenges they have. I've been on the retail side. I know what the frustrations are. And so I thought being on that side of the fence, Hey, maybe I can fix some of those things. And, and there are a lot of things that I'm really proud of that my team has done that we've accomplished and things that we've made better and, and, and optimize some processes. Now there's so many different factors that weigh in and make things more challenging, whether it's, the government, whether it's political pressure, whether it's senior leadership, whether it's, you know, what pharmacies are doing, what pharmaceutical companies are doing that make our life, our lives a lot more challenging. Um, but at the end of the day, there are some things that they do that I very much disagree with and that are barriers to people getting care. And so it's kind of cool to now be back on a different side of the fence where I'm like trying to push that boat in the right direction and maybe I have a little bit more power in this current situation. And I'm actually, even though I was responsible for half a million lives of their pharmacy benefits, now it's like, all right, maybe I can make a little bit more of a difference because we can have a little more freedom to change pharmacy costs and, and hopefully affect healthcare spending in a positive way. That's awesome. I, I You just gave me PTSD from our last conversation talking about healthcare. <laughs> Well, we were, we were trying to save the world about That's healthcare true. last time. Um, hey, should we crack this open? Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do it. All so right. um, we're going to drink more whiskey that you <laughs> brought the first time. I mean, it's just a good excuse to drink whiskey. So I'll, I'll pour us some. Um, and if you want to chat about yeah. what we're drinking. So this is a Stranahan's Single Malt Whiskey. Are you cool with that ice? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Take it away. Um, it's out of Colorado. A friend of mine introduced me to it. I typically a bourbon or a rye guy and this is scotch but you can't call it scotch because it's not from scotland and um i'm a big fan i've awesome. been really enjoying it so it's yeah and not I, always easy to find and found a bottle a while back and said this would be something good to share i had a great time drinking it last time <laughs> and i assume i'm gonna have a great time yeah. this time too oh. um and speaking of this uh this will be my first cocktail cocktail since uh uh august 31st I did sober September. That's wild. That's and, awesome, man. And I had one beer today. So cheers, that, cheers to that. Yeah, cheers. That's great. So, I think I think the reason I did sober September was because, um, well, I didn't feel too great about myself after my birthday, <laughs> and that <laughs> kind of played into it a little bit. I, uh, I mean, I celebrated pretty good, and it was a fun birthday party and stuff. Um, but I don't think I don't think since I've turned twenty one, I've gone one month without drinking. Oh, so I just, I was like, why not? I'll try yeah. It. yeah. I mean, and it's, it's a good, I mean, if anybody can have the willpower to do it, it's totally you. So <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm not even remotely surprised. I've 
I was kind of expecting like maybe you do that every third month or something oh, like, to no. start. <laughs> I as I've gotten older, it's like I kind of get why people drink more alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just like normally I've been since I got done playing football. It's been more like a you know kind of reward on a Friday or a Saturday, sure. have some drinks with some friends and stuff. But like I appreciate you know we were talking about doing housework or yeah. after mowing the lawn drinking totally. a beer or two that is so satisfying so there's nothing like a Coors Light after mowing the lawn yeah that's dude a that's a good feeling the best feeling <laughs> <laughs> and I uh I was talking to Tony about that the other day too because I went over have you seen his new house no not yet um but one of our friends thanks just, a lot Tony <laughs> one of our friends just <laughs> bought a house and uh yeah we were talking about like the all the dad issues you get I mean you're actually a father so you probably get it way more than the rest of us but like I'm obsessed with my lawn I'm obsessed with like keeping my patio looking nice. Totally. And uh, Debbie and I are remodeling our kitchen. I never thought that those words would come out of my mouth. <laughs> so yeah, it is funny how I mean I'm sure your dad is the same way when when you're younger, like you know you were the son and I was the son in my household of like all right you're doing the lawn and you're doing the weeding and you're doing the trees and you're trimming the bushes and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I hated it, hated it, absolutely hated it. And then. In my one of the summers, I think it was the summer after my freshman year of college, I was it was 2010, like the economy was in the tank and I looked for jobs everywhere. And I ended up working at Home Depot that summer. Oh, no way. In the garden department. And I learned so much about gardening and grooming and all, you know, all sorts of things laying um, like not not uh, concrete necessarily, but different pavers and oh, different yeah. um what am i trying to say like landscape design kinds of things you know, yeah people would come in and they would show me pictures of like what they were trying to do and we would figure out how much do they need of this and how much do they need of that and yeah and i was like this is awesome <laughs> and then you know got my first house and yeah now you just all of a sudden you're obsessed with it you're yeah like, i gotta blow off the driveway there's leaves on there. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah totally i i see stuff sometimes and i'm like People are going to judge me so hard for that, but it's like, nobody's going to freaking notice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's, uh, I don't know right now it's kind of nice cause we're just throwing, throwing caution to the wind and we don't really care what it looks like because we knocked down a bunch of drywall and we knocked down some walls and it's raised the ceiling. Really good. Yeah. So, and I was telling you, um, a good friend of our family, family friend who worked with my dad in California, he, he kind of grew up as an electrician and he was telling me, I don't think he ever like was officially an electrician, but he was like an apprentice for a while and then started doing a bunch of side jobs and stuff. And he would help out other firefighters if they would like need wiring and all that stuff done. But he was over today and watching him work was at like absolutely incredible because, you know, I know what the circuit breaker does to a certain extent, but like I never got into the attic and looked at where all the wires were running sure. from the circuit breaker and um, yeah, going underneath the house and seeing how the oven's wired, how the dryer's wired. And um, I don't know. It's just, it's cool to learn something tangible like that. And it's cool that he knows that cause he's helped out so many people right. and he like doesn't charge for jobs anymore. He oh, says wow. it's, it's like more satisfying just to help friends out with stuff. That's wild. He's the nicest freaking guy in the world. Yeah. But he also, he spent a shitload of money at Home Depot <laughs> and he like, he showed us the receipt and I was like, Oh, okay. I got to pay you back for this though. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's been a blast. I don't, I like, I like owning a home. It's nice having something to work on. So and, great. Yeah. So I know it's going to come out great. It is. 
it is amazing how much when things like that happen where you're, you know, you're, you're tearing out your kitchen. So then you realize how much you rely on your kitchen or you, the power goes out and you realize how much you rely on electricity. Yes. It's just knowing how to fix something like that. I mean, there's little bits and pieces of my house that I feel comfortable fixing, but that is not something I would ever feel comfortable touching. Yeah. If the power went out, like let's say the power went out for all of East Boise Yeah. and there's no electrician coming <laughs> for five days. I, I would be totally screwed. We're screwed. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, I've heard somebody talk about that on a podcast before. Like if, if all the smart people died <laughs> and it was just all of us at our houses, like who's going to figure out how to do electricity again? <laughs> um, and that's, that's actually something I was, Debbie's parents recently moved to Emmett. And when we were out there, we went to, um, is it black Canyon reservoir? Oh, that sounds right. Up above Emmett. So I started, I started looking at the, the, um, you know how they have those signs like historical site in Idaho and it was talking about the dam and how much, um, electricity comes from the dam and then where the water goes from the dam too. like who the hell figured out that they could block up a river and divert the water to their crops, you know, but in the process of doing that, they can also put turbines in there that generate electricity Right. And like provide the town with power. Like who the fuck figured that stuff out? And we just take it for granted. We walk in the bathroom, we turn on the faucet and there's water that comes out. Yeah. Like, thinking of how that water got to that point. Yes. At the right pressure, at the right quality, you know, not with any bugs or bacteria or anything else in it. Yeah. At least anything that's going to harm you. It's, it blows my mind. Yeah. And to think like they were also doing that. 3,000, 4,000 years ago too, right. diverting water for crops. And, um, I don't know. Yeah. I, it just, it gave me a little bit more of a, an appreciation. Like when I looked up, okay, where does the power come from in Boise? Who's sure. responsible for getting us the power and, and like they burn coal too, to get us power. Right. I don't know. It's, it's insane. Yeah. It's fun talking with, uh, our friend Derek about that too. Cause oh. he works, you know, on those, um, funding renewable energy projects and stuff. And, learning about how they're trying to balance the the fact that, you know, anytime during the day you have power whenever you need it, essentially, because we have all these resources and things that we've infrastructure that we've built to generate enough power. But if we go to renewable sources like solar, well, the sun only shines certain hours of the day and you need electricity. There's more electricity needs at certain hours of the day. So how are we storing it? What technology are we using to store it can we store it long enough how much do we lose what you know marrying all those different resources together is a lot more challenging than i think i previously at least gave credit for because it was like oh we don't have power we burn more coal yeah like that's not an option now it's like well the sun went down we can't produce any more power we have to have a really good way of storing it yeah do we know how to do that well Uh, you know i don't know Uh, dude i Thank God that there's people like that, that fun, big projects to figure out like what the next thing is. Yeah. Um, and something that's crazy to me too is like nuclear energy and how they figured all that shit out. And right. I think, is it uh, Idaho Nuclear Laboratory? Right now, yeah. yeah. Out in, uh, God, where is it? Eastern Ar- Idaho. Arco. Somewhere. Yeah. yeah. So little known fact, my mom's actually reading a book right now. We went on a road trip recently with my mom, so I heard all about the book she's reading. <laughs> and she's she's going to listen to this, so she's probably going to get mad at me for saying that. Uh, uh, shout out Lisa Gerke. Shout out to Lisa <laughs> Um But the, everybody thinks that like the first 
<clears throat> the first nuclear meltdown in the United States was Three Mile Island, but it was actually in Idaho. And they oh, like really? covered it up and they didn't tell anyone about it. And there's like nuclear fallout in eastern Idaho and people got all these weird sorts of cancers and stuff. And wow. yeah, and I guess it hasn't come out or it didn't come out for a long time. Um, and she actually knows someone who grew up in eastern Idaho that has like a really rare form of cancer. And they think it's oh, from that. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, how, how can you ever pinpoint it? Yeah. I assume we did, a in our chemistry class senior year, we did a trip out to INL, which was super cool. I want to go there. You can't it. go there. That's awesome that you got to go there. Oh, really? I don't think, I don't think just normal people can go there. Oh, really? Yeah. I, we went with our AP chemistry class and it was, I don't know, a dozen of us or something and learned so much about nuclear energy and the potential. And obviously like the biggest concern around nuclear energy is waste and what do you do with it? And we learned a lot too. I just remember bits and pieces and I'm probably going to butcher this. So this will be an amendment, but <laughs> there was, there's some issue with like what the government considers waste versus what scientists would say should be considered waste. Okay. And so they're like hyper protective of the things that should be waste. All that to say that they, they had some analogy and I don't remember if it was all the waste that they had generated or that the U S generates in a year, how exactly it worked, but something along the lines of if you took all the waste that the government says should be considered waste, it would cover an entire football field like 10 yards high. But if you took, if you actually had the waste that the scientists would say should be considered waste, it would only be like one end zone five yards high. Oh, wow. So they're basically just putting a lot of stuff into considerate nuclear waste just to be safe. Yeah. Which I'm not going to argue which way is right or which way is not. Well, if you think about like, that's what bugs me about the nuclear energy thing is if that's the amount of waste that's coming out of that, you can go put that anywhere. Right. Like there's so much room for that. That's not a lot. Have you been up to the dump like recently? Mm, probably not in three or four years. Okay. So I've, because we're redoing the kitchen, sure. I've made like four runs to the dump and it's mind blowing that that close to the city I don't know if, what they call it, like a transfer station or whatever it is, but you can go up there and you can dump whatever the hell you want. <laughs> and they like the roads are temporary and they're always kind of shifting where they're putting stuff. And once that um, crap is up there, they cover it and then it produces methane. And then they're figuring out ways to like reuse that methane. And I, it's just crazy to me that that happens within city limits and it's super close to us, right. but you get up there and it looks like there's nothing around you. Right. Whereas like if all the nuclear energy in America <laughs> is only a football field, I mean the dumps 50 football fields. It's right. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember exactly. I just remember the proportion. It was, it was mind blowing how yeah. much, cause they were talking that was before. And I can't think of the name of the mountain in Nevada where they were drilling holes in oh, to, to start dump storing it. And they, and people were saying, well, great, that's a short term solution. But then the scientists there were all saying like, well, it would be a longer term solution if we were only throwing away the things that we really needed to throw oh. away. Like, Anytime somebody goes out with a shovel out in a potentially hazardous area, they have to throw away the shovel. But, like, do they really need to throw away the shovel? Yeah. Well, is it – and what's dangerous is that, like, it's giving off so much radiation, right? And it doesn't – it'll give off that radiation until the half-life happens or whatever. And I think the issue with, 
like uranium or plutonium, whatever yeah. the hell they use, is the half-life is like thousands, thousands of thousands of years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's going to be like that for a long time. Right, which is the, the issue in... Uh, Chernobyl? Chernobyl, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, they built a... They call it the sarcophagus. They like built a, a concrete, 10-foot concrete thing all the way around the reactor. Wow. Yeah. And I and people still like go there and travel there and go inside <laughs> of it and I think if you're not exposed to it for a long time you're fine. Yeah, but. yeah. I just remember seeing it. I didn't watch the Chernobyl show, but I watched Top Gear and they went there. Oh no way! <laughs> long story short, they have their they get there and they basically have almost no gas. And the goal of the challenge is for them to drive through Chernobyl without running out of gas. And then obviously, of course, one of them their car dies in the middle of the oh, and they're like, oh, I guess we're just leaving them there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's crazy to me because I, I went to Ukraine in 2016 and that was kind of the joke like of the, pe- like of the group I was with. We were joking about going to Chernobyl, but you look it up and people actually do it and there's tour guides you can get and stuff and I think it's, I'm sure they have a Geiger counter or something, but, yeah, but you go in and you go in and look at it for 20 minutes and they're like, all right, that's probably enough. We'll get out of here. <laughs> oh, there's trees in that apartment complex. All right. Yeah. That's isn't that strange. nuts too? Like the wildlife is taken over and that's fine, but humans aren't supposed to go there. I don't know. You yeah. think with chemistry being my forte that I would know more of these things, but I've forgotten more than I ever learned. Yeah. In yeah. Field. So I'm, no, it's cool. I'm studying right now. Um, to get certified in something that um, I'm just, I'm not really going to talk about what it is, but uh, it's fun going back and like relearning basic chemistry and like mm. basic math and algebra and stuff. It's so satisfying. <laughs> and I, I texted you about it the other night. Um, oh yeah. When you were asking me that question. Okay. Yeah. About like long division. Yeah. Dude, when you do long division, <laughs> right? It's so satisfying. <laughs> and I don't know why I took it for granted in high school. Like I hated doing that stuff, Yeah, but uh I don't know. I just, I like sciences with like a hard answer. I hate, and I have a degree, I have a master's degree in a social science, but I fucking hate social science because it's like, well, it could be this, but then it could be this other thing too. Right. We don't, we're not really sure yet, but yeah. you can write a whole paper on it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we'll give you, you an A. against it and you both get an A. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not what I want. Yeah. Yeah. I love science for that reason too. But that's, that's what's interesting about, because I didn't have any formal business training in college. Um, so then in pharmacy school, I went and got my MBA at the same time. And it was so weird taking those classes and being like, well, some of this stuff is just putting labels on common sense things, but it's a completely different way of thinking in some regards because there's so much left to interpret. I mean, accounting is accounting. That's what it is. Yeah. But there's so much interpretation in terms of dealing with people and marketing and you know how do you how do you understand what the, what your boss is trying to say with this memo that they say, you know, yeah. how do you read between the lines and how do you negotiation, right? Like there's, there's just a totally different way of thinking that I gained a new appreciation of because before that it was like, Oh yeah, this is the, this is how this reaction happens. And this is the enzyme that makes it happen faster. And this is the product you get. And this is the other product you get. And this is the percentage that you're going to get, you know, it's like, yeah. these are well-established theories or hypotheses at the very least, or some of them are a lot, you know, all those things were very well established. You knew what you were going to get if you did everything right or yeah. you drew it correctly or whatever. Um, but yeah, having that kind of wishy-washiness is something I, you, I like the term you used. You said putting, putting labels on common sense things, dude, I 
I think people, people probably get upset with me or like get frustrated dealing with me at work because I cannot stand like when a meeting starts and somebody has to lay out, like spend 20 minutes, like laying out, you know, how we got to this point and Mm -hmm. like the super simple things and like, and I'm, I'm always like, come on, come on, come on, (laughs) get to the thing that like I care about, Yeah, (laughs) you know, but, um, I, I can't stand like sitting in meetings and hearing about the common sense stuff. I hate that for some reason, but I know to be a good communicator and like listener and stuff and like a manager, you have to be able to do those things and repeat yourself a million times and say the right things a million times. Whereas like, I don't know, sometimes I get in the mindset of, dude, I told you, like we've (laughs) said this 50 times. Why do we have to say it again? Right. It's, it's, I think that's, uh, sorry. No, you're good. Well, I I think that's, uh, one of the challenges with some of the best, well, I don't know, not necessarily best teachers I ever had, whether it was high school or college, but they, some of them are so smart that they don't understand how you couldn't get it the first time they explain it to you. you Yeah. Yeah. So they're, so getting through that sometimes is a little bit of a challenge. And I think especially for, you know, take high school chemistry or biology or physics, you know, there's kids in there that are just in there because they have to take it, you know, and they're not necessarily interested. And that is even more challenging to them because they're like, I, I said this, I, we did a worksheet on it. We read this chapter on it. We watched this video, you know, what what more could you get? But yeah, I agree. It does. It does get a little frustrating, especially now gotten getting to the point where I have a staff and they, they range from people with just a little bit of college experience to people with that are pharmacists with their doctorate. And you have to like find the right balance of what you're saying to make sure that everybody understands whether it's the science of it or the business aspect or the process or, or whatnot. And yeah, it's really hard to tell that line. I did not give that enough appreciation before. It's interesting too, because sometimes the people with the formal education are the ones that don't get it. And then the <laughs> dude, you know, the tradesman or whoever it is, sure. or the blue collar guy is the one that's like, yeah, I, I get it. I, I know what you're saying. And yeah. it's like, how the fuck does the other guy not know? Oh yeah. That happens. Yeah. No, I didn't mean to diminish that because that does happen all the time where you're just like, you say something and then somebody just figures out a way to do it. Yeah. And then you have this person that has 4,000 different acronyms behind their name Yeah, and they're like, I don't understand this. And, <laughs> or they oh need, or they need direction. Well, and I, I'm not saying it's like a bad thing. It's just dealing with people differently, but some people need like to know exactly what to do, exactly how to do it. And then, like you said, some people are, they'll figure it out. Yeah. They'll get it done. And yeah. And if you have a question, great. And if you don't and you figure it out and it, if it's only 95% correct, like that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that. Yeah. yeah. So I, I appreciate those kind of people regardless of where they are. Yeah. Um, I've, so I've been kicking around the idea of going back to school at some point. Um, I don't know. Have we talked about that at all? A little bit. Um, but doing like public policy and learning a little bit more about like, how things are done in the city and it would be very, if I went back to school, I'd go to Boise state, but um, it'd be very regional specific. And um, it's a little bit more of that, like not tangible answers and Mm. local politics and who makes the decisions and stuff. It's cool to me. It's cool to understand how things work. Um, it's cool to understand how they work, but how they get implemented sometimes. Like I don't really like that whole process or the formality of having to go sit in the 
the house chamber and do your votes and like that that aspect to me is the same thing as like okay come on get to it right let's get over it and then let's talk about the stuff that actually matters are you thinking more and more about potentially running for office at some point or i know that you've kind of tossed that idea around, <sighs> but no not not now um you know i've thought about it and i think it'd be fun and I even like win lose or draw whatever it would be a cool experience to learn how things work um but no i don't think so i i was on the train for a while um I wanted to get Zach to be like a campaign manager. <laughs> I wanted my brother-in-law to run for governor. And I was like, I'll, I mean, I'll be lieutenant governor or something. Like, <laughs> it'd be fun if you just got a crew together sure. and came up with a plan and tried to like appeal to them, not appeal to the masses, but, you know, appeal to the base that you want to appeal to. Sure. And, um, I don't know. It's Idaho's interesting, too, because... You know, there's a bunch of blue people in the city, and then there's right. a shitload of red people outside the city, and mixed in with the city too. And so it, it's funny. I thought Paulette Jordan like had a good chance at winning, and then she got <laughs> spanked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah didn't she? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't she not win the county that she resides in, or something like? Like, it was, there was something crazy like that. Yeah, I don't know. I think she got like thirty percent, and yeah. then. Um, Little got sixty something percent, so it's wild, something like that. Yeah, I, I, I hypothesize that Rish will probably have a similar oh situation. Yeah, yeah. fall where it's like he's not, he doesn't even have to try to campaign. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know what's pretty funny is so I ran yesterday. I ran ten miles, and part of That's my so awesome <laughs> part of my run, I ran through Hillcrest, and the mixture of Biden and Trump signs in there, it was mind blowing to me. Like, I don't know what I was expecting. If I would have only saw Trump signs, I would have been like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. And then if I would have only saw Biden signs, I'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. <laughs> but like the fact that there were so many different people with different signs is like, I don't know if it's like young, you know, yuppies moving into Hillcrest mixed with like the older folks that are still there kind yeah. of thing, but I don't know. I figured like most of the old folks in Boise are probably conservative. I would think, I mean, with the exception of because it's growing so much, I get the sense, and I could be wrong, but I get the sense a lot of the people that are moving here, especially from California, tend to be more red than blue Yeah, just because they are tired of some of the things that are happening and the way that California is run, and so then they come to Idaho. That's what I, I mean, think, too. I I. I I could be wrong. I, mean, I, I assume that's what it is. I kind of think that's why my parents moved here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Um, and because well, like a city's like Star, you know, they like the rural aspect and it's just quadrupled in growth. Yeah. You know, of yeah. Folks like that. So. Yeah. Well, and I think that's why like Debbie's parents originally moved here. Um, my wife's parents, because they lived in Oklahoma City and I, I think it was getting a little too big for them. So they moved to Boise. And then, like, they were living in Eagle, and Eagle obviously is exploding right now. And so they just moved out to Emmett. And I could see Emmett being like Eagle in 20 years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. It's, yeah. it's wild to – and I think you were talking about it on one of the last episodes, like trying to figure out what the next voice oh, is. yeah. And I – that's a great question. I wish you could know, and that'd be the place to buy property. See, and I – like, Bend seems almost like the kind of place, but, like – I don't think Oregon is the place that a lot of people want to go. Yeah. You know, and I, it's sad to say, but I think you'd have to go in interior more into the country, which I like Boise because it is semi close to the coast. Right. <laughs> I don't know why, like something about living in Wyoming or Montana kind of scares me, but it's like, <laughs> there's bears there. <laughs> well, it's bears. just like so far away from the ocean. Yeah. Not that you need to, 
be on the ocean. No, but. but there's a lot to say about the ability that, yes, we don't, we're not an international airport, but for the most part, I mean, you can get from, you can take Boise to San Francisco to London, you know, yeah. or something like that. It's not that big of a deal or yeah. Boise to Denver to anywhere. And being somewhere in rural Wyoming where, okay, I got to drive four hours to get to the airport, the airport <laughs> and then for anybody to fly here, I, I always have to go through Denver. I can't go anywhere else, even if I'm going to New York. Yeah. Um, I, I think that would be a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. Do you, do you and your wife, like now that you have a kid and you're starting your family, would you want to live in like a bigger city? Like if Boise explodes and it gets over a million people, I mean, would you start to think maybe you should move somewhere else? Probably not. I mean, I've always said that if I couldn't live in Boise and I had not like I've lived in that many cool places or, you know, I, I've traveled to some cool places, not as much as you have certainly, but uh, I've uh, always said that if I couldn't live in Boise, I would totally live in, in Seattle or Denver just because I love those places. Yeah. Um, I mean, Seattle, not all of Seattle is great, but there's lots of things that I really love about it. Having said that, one of the things definitely that Claire and I talk about all the time, my wife, is um, now having a family, you gain this different sense of time spent with family. And so we feel so fortunate to have our families, like my parents live in Eagle, her parents live not terribly far from us in East Boise, and have that connection and be so close to them all the time is like, you know, again, something about going into business for myself. I've learned that you can always make more money, but you can't make more time. And I think you and I have talked about this a little bit with, with our parents and, and spending time with them. Um, I don't think we could ever walk away from that regardless of if tomorrow there's 5 million people in Boise. Yeah. As long as our families are here, I feel like we'll stick it out. And we're so fortunate that we were in a position to buy the house that we wanted to be in for the next unlimited years in, in East Boise and, um, make it our own and, you know, enjoy our neighbors and the neighborhood and the access to, to everything from there. So we're kind of like, I don't think the grass is greener anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We're just, we're so happy. We both grew up here, um, went away for college a little bit, but always the plan was to come back here and stay here forever. So it was always funny to us when people in, in high school be like, Oh, I, I just can't wait to get out of Boise. I, I can't wait. I'm going to move to New York. Great. I, have fun with that. Like, yeah. I, I really like it here. Like, yeah. I can't wait to stay here. Yeah. So yeah, I've, what I've got us thinking, well, I don't know. I mean, I've gotten so comfortable here that I, yeah, I don't think the grass are, I don't think the grass is greener anywhere else. And I don't think my wife and I think about it that way. I think it's more like, you know, if, if the highway continues to be as shitty as it is, at 5 p.m. <laughs> and they don't like put in a second highway or they don't put sure. in a north-south highway or like better public transit, right? stuff like that. I, I don't know. Because that's what's appealing to me about big cities. But if Boise gets so crowded and they don't like do anything about it, I think that's what will bug me too. And then obviously, you know, if the crime rate goes up, if, sure. you know, there's issues downtown with homeless encampments or not that like, I'm not bashing on that. It's just like raising a family in that environment. True. My cousin uh, lived in Seattle with his daughter, I think until she turned like five or six. And he would send me Snapchats 
of him like walking his daughter home from wherever she was, uh, kindergarten or wherever it was, and they were going to get the ferry to go to Bainbridge Island. Oh, okay. And they'd be walking past dudes pooping on the street. And it's like, <laughs> okay, I don't want my daughter growing up in that no. environment, you know? No. So that's that's the one thing that scares me a little bit. And, um, you know, I think I think it gave me a little bit of hope when we went to the Midwest and we went to Bismarck and we went to Sioux Falls and uh, – I mean, even Omaha a little bit. Omaha was pretty big. Um, but like Sioux Falls at night or Rapid City at night, it was like we, we went downtown and it was like nice and quiet and there was yeah. some music playing. And it wasn't like, it wasn't overwhelming. It wasn't, you know, crazy bars and lights and stuff. It was like, all right, I could see this on a Saturday, Friday night, you know, sure. being a nice place and living here. And But the thing about Rapid City is like, snowfall is so ridiculous <laughs> whereas boise it's like it snows twice a year right. and it's fine <laughs> and it oftentimes melts by four o'clock yeah oh yeah it's pretty manageable yeah but yeah. that's that's the thing that scares me too is like i don't want to ever i don't want to ever live in a place where it's it's like okay we're gonna go to dinner but it's gonna take us an hour and a half to get there yeah. like i never want to experience oh, that oh god no absolutely not yeah i think that's been one of the granted we live on that side of town but um that's been one of the advantages too of of everything with my job and just and with covid of working from home and people companies trying to figure out how people can work from home much more is not spending time in the car spending more time at home with family or be able to just hop on my bike and go for a ride or go out and do yard work on the lunch break and things like that that I don't know, bring more joy than just the grind of like, all right, it's six 30. My alarm's going to go off. I'm going to go for a run. And then after that, I'm going to shower. Then I get in my car and then I sit in the car for an hour. Then I go to work. Then I, come, yeah. you know, like that kind of breaking that regimen and having that ability to do those types of things is it's, it's kind of cool. It's, yeah. it's, I mean, I know that you still go into the office a decent amount and, um, but still, Oh, I, I know I, you appreciate things like that too. Totally. And that's, I mean, that goes back to what you're talking about. Spending time with family and doing things that actually matter and bring you joy. Like I see how people get caught up in the grind and if you want to make more money and all those things, but like, I think I, I think I truly have gotten to that point where like, I don't really care that much about money. It's more about the experiences and like, like I don't care that my kitchen's torn apart right now because we learned a bunch of shit today. Oh, like so cool. It's fun. It's it's not like like Debbie and I were talking about this today. A lot of people are so consumed by the end result that they don't enjoy like the process of getting to that end result. Whereas like some people are like, I can't wait until we're done doing the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I can't wait until it's done. But it's also fun like doing all this stuff sure. too. And you learn new things and, you know, if you're, if you're always in that mindset of like, what's the next goal? What's the next goal? What's the next goal? You're not going to enjoy like the process of getting to each of those goals. Yeah. So. Yeah. There. And, and I have to eat a little bit of crow cause Claire gave me such a hard time about this, but you know, our son, you know, obviously has gone through a handful of stages here in his first life. And for example, there were things that he did or I thought, Oh, I just can't wait until he can just sit and eat from a bottle and, and everything is easier. Or I can't wait until he eats solid foods or I, you know, I can't wait until he can 
hold his own head up and all those sorts of things. And then you go, like, I don't even remember what he looked like when he did those things. Oh, yeah. It's like, I, you, you just, all you want to do is it, it seems crazy and it's wild and you're running a million miles an hour, but sometimes you just want to slow down and really enjoy like, Oh, remember when we did this and then he made this noise and then he did that for a couple of weeks and we always look forward to it. And then he stopped doing it. And yeah. You know, we should have gotten on film. And oh yeah. Things like that. It's just it. Yeah. There's, there's parts of those things of the, of the process of whether it's the process of redoing your kitchen or the process of watching somebody grow up where you're like, oh, I just want to enjoy this a little bit more. Yeah. I wish I had. And, well, I'm sure you guys have those moments where, you know, your son does something and you guys look at each other and you're like, I want to fucking remember this. Oh, like, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's cool having those moments. And Deb and I, I mean, I know we're going to look back at this time in our life and we're going to be like, fuck, that was awesome. Like, <laughs> um, but it's hard sometimes because you do get caught up in the grind of things and some things mm-hmm. change your mood and sometimes you get pissed off at stuff. But it's like, I don't know if you can let that stuff roll off your shoulders and just enjoy what's going on. It is cool to have those moments where you look at each other and you're like, this is, this is cool. Like, this is awesome that we're doing this right, right. now. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 It's, it's been, it's been wild. Hey, how it's old is Theo now? He is just over 10 months old now. Okay. So That's approaching crazy. a year. Oh, it's wild. Yeah. We were just talking a little bit about where we were at this time last year and prepping and, you know, doing hospital tours and were we, well, you and I went to a football game together last year i think it was a little bit later than this but had had you guys had theo yet no i think she was still pregnant I think, yeah because if it was football season because he was end of november so okay football's kind of wrapping up yeah the regular season anyway um i remember yeah around this time last year i was going to wisconsin for one of my good friend's weddings and and she had to stay behind because oh. she was eight months pregnant and uh yeah it's just it's crazy how fast time goes yeah and, and like oh, you're a human being like we created you yeah and you're part of us and just seeing the things that he picks up on and learns and it's it's so wild it changes your perspective on everything i thought i had everything figured out and yeah you read all the books and you listen to what people tell you and what your parents advise you and all that sort of stuff and none of it really prepares you it's all you just i picked up everything on the fly. I was like, Oh, that didn't work. Guess I'm not doing that again next time. Yeah. Oh wow. This really worked. That really calmed him down. Like, all right, now I know something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's pretty special. It's pretty cool. I I don't think I've ever told you this, but I had a very cool moment. I think the first time Debbie and I met Theo and like watching you hold and look at Theo. And then like I, when I was holding Theo, I was just thinking about us hanging out in high school. And I was like, dude, this is crazy that you have a child now. Like it was, it was a very cool moment oh, to that see. Was, yeah. Claire and I talk about when you guys came over that time a lot. Cause she's, she always is like, Oh, Spencer was so cute. He was holding <laughs> his, you know, he was so tiny in his arms. And yeah. you know, he was, and yeah, that was a, that was a really special visit. Cause you know, you guys were just so enthused and, and came over and brought us dinner. And that was uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. I appreciated that a lot. Cause it's, especially the first month or two is wild. I mean, you're just trying to get your feet underneath you and yeah. figure everything out. And um, can you imagine like not having baby books or like technology oh. or Walmart or like <laughs> yeah, all right. that stuff? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and just the, his health. I mean, he's a healthy, happy baby and just being in the world that I live in, 
I see the sickest of the sick. I see the saddest of the sad. I see families just brutalized. They spend so much of their time in the healthcare system that the care is expensive. Like the last thing they want to deal with is another trip to the pharmacy or another call to the insurance company or anything like that. Yeah. So going into it, I was just so petrified that that was going to be me and to have the situation that we have where he's thankfully healthy and happy and, and Claire did so awesome and is a total rock star, which is, we could talk an hour just about (laughs) what women go through, through pregnancy. Yeah. It's unbelievable. But anyway, the, the gratitude that I have for that, um, and, and being able to be in that type of situation is, Oh, it's, it's already hard enough, but to have other complications on top of that, I don't know how people do it. I give them a lot of props. Could you imagine having a baby on like the Oregon trail? No. Like how the hell did they get through? (laughs) I mean, I know that like the, what, what do you call it? The mortality rate of children was much higher back then, Sure, but still, I mean, uh, we're here somehow, some way they bred a bunch to 300,000 years of, of human beings being around. Yeah. We've made it this far. That was always one of the reassuring things in my life. I was always like, well, this person said this and this person said that. And I don't know what the right answer is. Yeah. I was like, okay, hold on. We've made it this far. Either way, he's going to be just fine. (laughs) Yeah. Let's just relax and see what happens. So I have a different perspective on that. (laughs) So that's probably a much better and like happier perspective than what I have. It's like, oh yeah, we got here. And like I had ancestors and, you know, they made it through whatever 2000 years ago 1000 years ago 500 years ago but i always think about like like people who are living at the same time as us and there's really stupid people yeah. and really trashy people who have kids and they do fucking great right and that's like i'm always super nervous about when we're going to start having kids and i think like the time is soon and and it's like okay people a lot dumber than me have done <laughs> have done this. Yeah. I think I'm going to be okay. You guys are going to crush it. Yeah. Absolutely. But like, I don't know. I think that's just normal for anyone who's having kids. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think it's a little, I, I don't, I obviously don't know this, but it, it was a little different for me too, because my siblings are so much older than me. Like my sister started, my brother never lived in the same house I did. Cause he was 19 years older than me and my sister started college the day I started kindergarten. Oh wow. So we never really lived together. Yeah. And so I kind of, you know, always had siblings, but I was kind of an only child as, as a kid. So I are never you, really, around. are you closer in age to her kids than to her then? Uh, no, not quite. Okay. At 17. I'm, I was 17 when her first child was born. Okay. She's 13 years older. Than gotcha. Me. Gotcha. Okay. But, but yeah, so I, I always was never really around kids. I was usually the youngest of my cousins. So I was never really around babies or anything like that. Yeah. And it was really strange to even think about the possibility of having kids. And, yeah. and you grow up, at, at least in my perspective as a young male, it's like, you know, you can't have a child as a teenager. You're going to blow this. You can't have a child here. You're going to, you're going to mess this up. Don't do that. Having a child is like almost the worst possible thing that could ever happen in the history of time. (laughs) Make sure you're a thousand percent ready. And then after that, double check yourself. Yeah. Um, so it's a lot of, it was a lot of craziness in, in deciding to have children, but now it's like, it, like I've said this a hundred times, I sound like a broken record and nobody probably cares, but it totally changes your perspective on everything. Yeah. It's, It's truly awesome. Like, we thought we would 
prepare and, oh, it's going to be at this time. And then we're going to wait until this happens and this point in our life or yada, yada, yada. And then it just, it just happens. And it's all, it's all. Did, did you guys decide to start having kids? Yeah, like you sure. said, all right, we're ready. Yeah. 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 We were just like, all right, settled in the house. Job is good. Things are kind of settling down. Yeah. Um, so at what position? So how long from when you guys made that decision to when she got pregnant. <laughs> I'm just curious. The first month. Oh, really? Yeah. Damn, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's the funniest part is, um, and also like the saddest part because you hear so many of the stories of people that just would kill to have a child. Yeah. And then you have trashy people that can just like pop one, pop two, pop three out, and then they treat them like shit. And it just, it absolutely, it's, gut-wrenching before having kids but now having a child yeah you look back and you're like where's my pistol at like i'm ready to ride on these assholes like, <laughs> yeah that's just not fair because there's so many people that really struggle to get pregnant and may not ever even have that opportunity and yeah. and, and are so desperate so that it's funny but it's also kind of like oh i feel so terrible because everything went so well for us yeah. and who knows what will happen with another child you you never know what's gonna well you shouldn't you shouldn't feel terrible about that you should feel terrible if you don't take advantage of the good situation you're in that's a good point yeah you're right yeah you're right um that's why like i don't know you can talk about all this fucking white privilege shit or whatever like (laughs) not not white privilege but more like um growing up privileged or like feeling guilty about being born into a good household or whatever like, I don't think you should feel guilty about being born into a good situation unless you don't do something with that good situation. No, that's a good that's a good perspective yeah. to have for sure. If you're just a piece of shit and you're like, I've got my trust fund, I'm going to buy a Lamborghini right. and go live in wherever, like, that's a piece of shit. But if you have a good job, you contribute to society, you have children, and you spread your knowledge to those children, like, I think that's totally awesome. Yeah. yeah. No, that's true. That's a good perspective. I just, I you know never know who you're going to offend by being like, Oh yeah. First month. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's hard too, because I, I've known some people, you know, who've had, um, miscarriages and, Oh my gosh, like stillbirth, like mid midway through. I mean, we have a good mutual friend. I don't know if you know who I'm talking about, but somebody was pregnant with twins and she had a miscarriage and like, I can't even imagine going through that. And they were so careful with the second time. And now they have a daughter that they freaking love. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's hard. Like, what do you say in those situations? Oh, for and, sure. Yeah. And you just, I have learned more and more about that, especially now as we, I mean, we're not that young, but we're not that old. We're 30 and friends coming of age and starting to have families as well. And, and seeing kind of the struggles that they go through too. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's a whole nother it's a whole nother ball game. And yeah. gosh, with COVID, it, it makes it ten times harder because I can't even imagine the being there to see the birth of one's child is it's an experience unlike anything else that you can't nothing can prepare you for. And the thought of after having gone through that, not being able to experience that, I I can't even imagine what would go through someone's mind and, yeah. and the frustrations and the challenges. And granted there's safety protocols for a reason. And there's a lot of re- you know, there's reasons why they're doing what they're doing, but that's a huge moment. And so thinking about that, or even 
people that are in the military and that aren't just aren't they're deployed. During yeah. That time. Yeah. Um, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Um, and it's the same thing too. Like, uh, my wife deals with a lot of sick patients cause she's on the CICU sure. and she's with patients who pass away and yeah. their family members aren't there with the patients. And so my wife has to be like oh, a, you know, yeah. an extenuation of the family. And sometimes they, you know, get the family on the iPad and they do a zoom call and stuff. And it's like, I can't imagine, I can't imagine like my grandpa dying and my mom not being there with my grandpa. Right. You know? Um, and then let alone, like, I can't imagine my parents passing away and I can't be there with yeah. them. Like I, I'd probably go like bust into the hospital and say <laughs> like, I'm going up there. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's just, uh, I, I don't know. It's a weird time to be alive. It is a strange time. And it's my part of my job is in population health. At least my old job anyway, is trying to deal with that misinformation and kind of keep people rational about things like about like COVID or, or about anything. Yeah. I mean, vaccines is one that is a huge soapbox that I get on all the time, uh, especially in pharmacy school. I mean, you just spend hours and hours and hours and so much of your life telling people like these vaccines are safe. Yeah. Vaccines do not cause autism. Get yourself vaccinated. Vaccinate your children. Yeah. Like these are the real risks. They are, you know, I'm not going to speak for everything, but these risks are minute. Like this is, this is what the data says. This is what you should be doing. And yes, we can have a conversation about whether the government should be mandating this or not, but this is the right decision because even if it prevents it by X percent, you're, you know, you're doing this, this, and this. So whether it's vaccinations or with COVID, it's, you have people calling in all the time, like the hydroxychloroquine is a myosin thing. I I probably wasted 50 to 60 hours of my life just talking down employees at blue cross of Idaho about what our strategy was as a company, because what happened is when certain political figures and bloggers were promoting the use of those products, when the data was questionable at best, people started getting prescriptions for them. They started going to the pharmacies and then people that actually needed those drugs for the other uses they were intended for couldn't get them because the pharmacies didn't have them and couldn't get them from their suppliers. And it was just a total cluster. So then they look back to us as the health plan and say, you need to put in restrictions so that only the people that need it for whatever X, Y, Z appropriate indication are the ones able to get it. The main one with hydroxychloroquine was its use in um, patients that have rheumatoid arthritis where if they don't have that, then they are flaring up and well, guess what? Now they have to go to another medication and the chances of that medication being even more expensive are huge. So now that's additional cost to the plan. That's frustration. That's time with the provider that they may or may not even be able to see. There's new side effects to look out, new processes new all sorts of new things they have to worry about all because they can't get the drug that they were using before. yeah so just combating that and kind of call, you know, calming people's fears and making sure to promote the right information and yes letting people make their own decision but also 
like you just spend a ton of time just saying, yes, this is what the headline says. But if you read the fine print, there were only eight people in the study or they were only looking at, I mean, there's, you took stats. There's, there's some data that pharmaceutical companies like to use in there. Now I'm getting on a different soapbox. No, you're good. I I like the stats (laughs) argument too, because I tell people this all the time. You can manipulate data to say whatever you want it to say all the time. Yeah. And pharma is really, really good at it. Now I don't want to put them totally in the doghouse. Well, they They have to jump through so many hoops. Totally. Yeah. But they, they definitely manipulate data. One perfect example is the difference between relative risk and absolute risk reduction. So for example, Let's say a drug prevents heart attacks um, 96% of the time in his patients. Yeah. And a new drug comes out and it prevents heart attacks 98% of the time. The relative risk reduction is 50%, 4% versus 2%. Okay. So the pharmaceutical company that did the 98%, they'll come out and they'll be like, yeah, we had a 50% reduction in heart attacks on our drug. This is the greatest drug in the world. Yeah, but it's 96 to 98. But it's 96 to 98. Yeah. And so the absolute risk reduction is that is 2%. Yeah. And so, yes, on the commercial, they might say a 50% reduction in, in cardiovascular outcomes or however they want to describe it. And we can talk for hours about primary endpoints and how they describe how they met their primary endpoint. But that's the kind of stuff that you have to calm people's fears because they just see a headline. They see a quick blurb about it. They see what the, the company posts on the front page of their website. Yeah. They're like, well, this is a drug I have to have. Who wouldn't want to have a 50% reduction in cardiovascular outcomes? Okay, well, you have to inject this product once a week. How do you feel about injecting yourself? Or you have to have regular blood draws so that you can monitor XYZ biomarkers. You know, yeah. did you think about that when you did this? And oh, this drug is five times the cost or ten times the cost or all those sorts of things that that people don't um, necessarily think about. So that's population health is is challenging for that matter because yeah. there's just a lot of that misinformation out there. Well I think this the stats stuff, the stuff that bugs me is when, you know, there's a giant headline saying something like this is a huge issue in America or this is a huge issue in blah, blah, blah cities or to this certain demographic. And it's like, okay, America is so huge. What's the denominator they're using? Yeah. What, what are they measuring it against? Okay. There was a certain increase um, compared to when that that's the kind of stuff that pisses me off. And that like, if anything from grad school was valuable to me, <laughs> I'm not saying like none of it was, but that's the one thing is like reading articles critically and seeing what data they're actually looking at and saying like, okay, and to even get on a more simpler subject, a lot of articles recently have been saying, according to a source. <laughs> and it's like, okay, what the hell is the source? Or um, how can you how can you base this giant article on this like super sexy headline? just on a source. Yeah. And I mean, they do the same thing with this ridiculous data when, yeah, if if there was one death and then all of a sudden there's two deaths, they see like, oh, 100% increase. Yeah. It's like, okay, <laughs> tell us the whole story here. Um, but I actually, I wanted to ask you about autism. Yeah. Because like I'm not 
anti-vax. I don't think I've read anything enough to know like why people believe that. But one thing that it, it's not that it changed my mind, it's that it made me question you know the the narrative that's out there. So if if somebody says vaccines cause autism, most people say okay, that person's like crazy, you know, we're not going to listen to him whatever. I had what I think is a fairly reasonable person who has a daughter with autism tell me to my face and that like I've known this person for three years and I've had awesome conversations with them. I think they're a very bright person. Um, but she has a daughter who has autism and, and she said something about the vaccines that her daughter got. Like, I mean, I don't know when, when do uh, babies get vaccinated? All throughout their first couple of years. Okay. I mean, some like your hepatitis vaccine, you get the minute you hit the earth. Okay. So, so maybe it was that then, because she said something about like when her daughter was born, um, they gave her a bunch of shots and she saw her daughter turn blue. And I know her daughter has had it, had issues because, you know, she's vocal about it on social media. Whenever it's like autism awareness month, you know, she'll post stuff about it. And she, like, I looked at her and I said, well, do you, so you think that those vaccines caused issues with your daughter? And she looked me straight in the face and she goes, oh, Spencer, I know they did. Like, I watched it happen. And and that was the one moment where I was like, okay, this person's extremely reasonable. Like, I have three years of friendship with them. That was the one thing that made me question it. Um, so I, I'm just curious, like, why would she think that? I I have no idea. Like, why would her baby turn purple when they gave the baby a shot? I feel like they're completely unrelated. It, okay. But I, knowing the minute amount of details that I know, that's my that's my hypothesis. There. Do you but, think that there could be there could be a gene that the autism or the autism there could be a gene that triggers the autism from that vaccine? That's an extremely rare gene that's in like. Not a chance. Not a chance. No. Not even remotely. Okay. okay. <clears throat> so most the 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 vaccine that got the most heat from I can't even think of his name, and I honestly don't even want to justify it by repeating his name. Don't but, you don't but have that, to say the name. But. By, but that got the conversation started was this article published by a physician who was eventually pulled had his license revoked. Was this minor tiny article that was published with just a handful of people and he had this correlation with autism and it was the MMR vaccine which is measles mumps and rubella which you don't receive right when you are um, born okay and what's different about the measles and mumps rubella vaccine that is less common with other vaccines but it just depends on it just depends on the vaccine so for example the flu virus, the flu influenza vaccine is typically a dead virus. So it's just to put it in simple terms, they have a piece of the virus that's dead and they inject it into you. Your body recognizes it and says, hey, if I ever see that again, I'm going to fuck gonna you up. Make some antibodies yeah, or whatever it is. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but what's different about the MMR virus, but you also see it in the shingles virus or vaccine, excuse me. MMR vaccine that is similar in the shingles vaccine. And I, I can't remember which exact other ones. It's actually technically a live virus, Okay, but it's a, 
they basically take away all its armor and all its weapons. So it's, it's live because it has to be live in order for the stability and the efficacy of the, the vaccine to work. But it's not live in that it's going to cause an infection. Yeah. Um, it's weakened. <clears throat> and so the, the some people think that that's the reason. It's like, oh, well, you're giving it to them and it's the live virus versus a, you know, a, a dead virus. I thought, and that's what's happening. I've never heard that. I thought it was more like like what the virus is suspended in like if it's like like that's another like aluminum or something yeah there's people have concerns about mercury or eggs or there's so many different excipients that people um thiomerosol or something like that was one of the excipients in that none of the mmr vaccines given today have any mercury or thiomerosol like that it's yeah that was all garbage as well that they've completely um i mean it's just so sad to see the number of <clears throat> studies and dollars and time wasted for vaccine advocates to really fight against it. Because honestly, it feels like people in that community have just said, this is such a dumb fucking thing for people to believe. Like I'm not even going to give it the time of day to even give it any legs. Yeah. And what's happened is that the people that are super anti-vax have just been so vocal and have made their voices even louder with megaphones on social media yeah. that they have been able to get people like, oh, like flat earthers the same way. Like, oh, well, look at this. Well, obviously because of this, there's a correlation here. And it's like, yeah. no, if you actually understood the, the, the science behind it and how it worked and how vaccines work in general and, and the schedules and how they're determined and all the controls in place, that is not an issue. Yeah. I mean, one person, even there's a lot of people that say this and there's even a, our president is dumb enough to say this too. Like, <laughs> Oh, well we should be getting vaccines, but they shouldn't be giving them all in such tight schedules. They should be spacing them out more. We are exposed to more antigens in a day than all of the vaccines you will receive in your entire life. Every time you pick something off on you, turn a door handle you're exposed to different antigens that your body the way that your immune system and i used to know this a lot better when i took immunology in college but the way that it sees those it breaks them down it takes them to the antigen presenting cells it recognizes them it says is this a threat is this not a threat if it is we make certain types of cells to recognize that yada 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 down yeah. the road that happens 24 seven all throughout any, every time you breathe in something else, you're in different place. You know, the fact that the fact, the thought that the issue is the amount of antigen that you're exposed to in a vaccination as causing any sort of disease or anything like that is beyond nonsense. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's just, it's frustrating. Um, so do you such a waste of resources? Do you think um, the fact that like okay, if we were to go into like an extended lockdown because of COVID, do you think it could affect people's immune systems because they're not being exposed to those things on a day to day basis? I think. Or do you think you're exposed to enough stuff like in your own house that you're fine? I think for the average adult, and I I'm probably not the right person to answer this, but I think for the average adult, you're going to be fine because you've lived your whole life being exposed to up things. to that point i think if you had it's not a, like the antigens go away well it it depends Are, do I they mean, there's you... there's 
it's the same reason why you have to get the flu shot every year. Okay. Because a, there's different strains. So there's like a tri some years historically, there's been like a trivalent or a quadrivalent. And basically what they do is they look in, um, they look at the previous year's flu season. They also look in the Southern hemisphere because obviously our seasons all vary and they Dude, look at what strains are. When I, when Debbie and I watched that virology thing on Netflix, Speaking of the hemispheres, uh-huh. that blew my mind. But sorry, continue. No. So basically, they they take a look and they see what strains are prevalent, and then they create the virus or the vaccine. I keep switching. They create the vaccine for the following year based on what was prevalent at that time and what they think we will see. And because it mutates it, a little bit each year. Well, yeah, it just and different strains are become more prevalent just based on where they are and who spreads it and all sorts of things like that. Like yeah. there's different strains of the influenza virus. So there sometimes have been trivalent vaccines, which is three different ones, and then quadrivalent, which this year the main one is a is a quadrivalent vaccine because they think there's going to be four prominent strains potentially. Yeah, and. Sometimes they get it wrong. Like I I think 2009, 2010, we were in college was the year that H1N1 blew up and it was because they just were off by a little bit and that ended up getting people really sick and we weren't protected. Now, um, I forgot where we were going with all this, but Oh, the reason you have to get it every single year is because yeah, after a while, if your body just, and we can talk about the way antidepressants work or things like that too. It's a very similar situation. If your body's like, all right, well, we haven't seen this in a while and we don't really need this. And then we just get rid of it and we forget about it. Gotcha. So there's, there's bits and pieces of that, that, that play a part. Um, it's yeah, it's the same reason why people develop tolerance to opioids and things like that is because your body's like, all right, well, I know I'm going to get this dose. So I need to have this many receptors available. And then after a while they build up all these receptors and then you have less drug. Anyway, yeah. I won't, well, but it's, it's, so that stuff is super interesting to me because like you think about somebody who maybe they were up on like the international space station for nine months or something and they yeah. come back, like, do they have to be super careful? Like how much exposure they get? I would think, I mean, I would think that Theo, for example, you know, not going to daycare, spending time with us at home. If hypothetically COVID lasted for three years, which I don't think it will, yeah. but I don't think we're going to be in close to that. And he's been exposed to the elements and things like that. So I'm not worried, but hypothetically, let's say we were kind of in that initial lockdown, like we were before. Yeah. And we did that for three years and then he went out. Yeah. I would probably be a little bit concerned that yeah. he hasn't eaten the same sand that the kid, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. 20 miles away has eaten. And- See, and that's, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm a gross person. I don't think it'd be fatal though. I think it'd just be a, it'd be a transition. Yeah. I mean, I like getting out and getting into the dirt and getting dirty and going in the foothills and traveling and stuff. And like, maybe I don't wash my hands as much as I should, but it's like, it's not that I don't, it's not like I don't wash my hands after I go to the bathroom, but like in other situations, it's like, I, I feel like, I don't know. It's probably good for me to put my hands in the dirt. sometimes. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's weird to me that certain people are so freaked out about getting dirty or like, I mean, we have some friends who are super worried about like exposing their children to things. And it's like, okay, (laughs) once again, we've lasted this long, right? Kids played in the dirt in like ancient Rome. I'm sure everything's going to be okay. Oh, and and my favorite thing about some of my gerbophone friends is to remind them 
the number of bacteria that are in their body is more than any, the number of humans that have ever lived in the history of yeah, time. Like in your gut. In your gut, exactly. And it's yeah. like, as much as you might want to wash your hands, you don't even want to know what's going on in your, yeah. in your gut right now. Yeah. There's so many things in there that you're just never going to get over. Okay, so this this brings me back to like the long division thing. So anatomy is so mind-blowing to me. And it's so fascinating to think about like how similar your body is to like a frog's. So obviously at some point in history, we were the same thing. But like consuming things and the the process it goes through when it goes to your stomach and totally. like what your body uses from it and what it doesn't use from it and how your heart works and how they figured out how your heart works. Right. Um, and like your capillaries and what your body expels. And, um, I mean, I know that like neuroscience at some point down the road in the future, they're going to look back to what we know about (laughs) neuroscience right now. And they're going to say, you guys didn't know a lot of stuff, but like just understanding like the reptilian part of your brain and like what the lobes do. And it's mind blowing to me that, we figured out so much about how like our bodies work. Yeah. It's crazy. It was, it especially was enlightening to me, um, especially in, in pharmacy school because the, the kidneys in my opinion are the most underappreciated organs in your body. Yeah. And because of the way that drugs are metabolized primarily in the liver or in the kidneys. And so you, you learn there's a lot of renal function and kidney or in uh, liver function that plays a role in how drugs are metabolized and what dose they are. And what can, can I, can I shoot out some of my knowledge? Yeah, throw it out. Uh, so renal function or hepatic function. Hey, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> but there's uh... we had so many good jokes like that on the last episode. That's why I was sad that we <laughs> <Yeah>. lost it. <laughs> so we, we, uh, it was one thing that I learned so much about that I just completely underappreciated. Yeah. The way that your kidneys regulate your blood pressure some of the new um, diabetic medications that actually, I mean, we have lots of medications that work in the kidneys. Their actual mechanism of action is, is in the, um, in the kidney. But the fact that you can regulate diabetes by doing a, having a drug that manages the way that glucose is expelled by basically blocking it so that it gets excreted through the kidneys and out your urine. Yeah. Like just, that's brilliant. That's okay. Amazing. It, it's, it's absolutely incredible to me that people figured that out. Somebody at some point figured that out, but think about before that was figured out and how many people probably had type one diabetes that weren't treated for it. And they were probably super sick or they died super early. And now it's like, okay, those people can live until they're 90 years old. Right. It, that, that is crazy to me. And the other thing that, that blows my mind is thinking about um, eyesight and vision and how much of an issue that must have have been in the past. And then they figured out, Oh my God, we can like curve glass a little bit and put it in front of their eye and it'll fix it. Yeah. It's just those tiny little things that we take for granted. Like, Oh my God. Okay. That girl has to take insulin every day, but without it, you know, whatever, 200 years ago. I mean, I don't know when insulin, they figure that stuff out. I I don't remember the date. I know it's the first biologic that was ever made, but, um, biologic drug, but yeah, it's, it's been a while. Okay. I get a patent was sold for like a dollar or something like that. Oh my God. Crazy thing. (laughs) 
I got to look into uh, kidneys a little bit more. So I do the kidneys are fascinating. I think the liver is underappreciated because like I, until recently I started looking into like anatomy stuff again. And I told you Khan Academy is insane. It's just cool. You can go on there and learn anything for free. You can take college courses for free, but your kidney or your uh, liver is so ginormous I guess I like when I think about myself or I think about my anatomy, I never think about the liver, but it's huge and it's in the middle of my body and <laughs> takes up so much space. Right. I don't know. I think it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. No, and you're, it's, it's cool. I'm glad you're studying that stuff. Yeah. And your is your bile made in your liver? Dude, now you're asking me. Okay. Clinical. I Sorry. Don't, I don't remember any of that. But stuff. like your gallbladder is <laughs> attached to it and your spleen. Your you spleen. Ru- you ruptured your spleen. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I cracked that bastard. Yeah. Um, well for EMT school, that's what we learned in EMT school. I think it's like right upper quadrant pain after like, you know, um, blunt, blunt force, force trauma. trauma. Yeah. That is telling you that's the spleen exploded. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, but that was the worst. What's, what's crazy too, to think about is there's parts of your body. Like, can you live without your spleen? They can, yeah. You, uh, splenectomy or whatever. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of exactly all the physiologic things that happen downstream um as a result i used to know it god i used to know way better see but there's like there's like your appendix your spleen um like your your bottom five vertebrae are fused together so like at some point maybe those actually had a function thinking about like evolution of the human body Mm. And how you still have these parts that don't like, matter now, like gallbladder and wisdom yeah, teeth and yeah, things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, why strange. do you? Yeah, why do you have an extra set of teeth that you don't? <laughs> when did they figure out? Okay, we can just pull those, and everybody will be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who, whoever thought, like, you know what? Those are let's just let's just try without it. So, so happens. that's uh, to billion me, dollar industry. <laughs> yeah. Yes. To me, it's it's not depressing per se. But it's more eye-opening to think about like how many humans have lived and died and how many experiments have happened on those humans to get to the point where we're at now. It's like like the impact that one person has is so minute and like there's a reason we know certain people's names throughout history because they made such an impact in like one place or another. But like to learn about wisdom teeth probably took thousands of people right living and dying and trying things and doing other things and eventually they're like oh we have a theory about this and then downstream a little bit further they're like okay we got the process figured out now and then think about like how many different avenues there are like that like not just wisdom teeth think about the heart think about the brain think about like you know something as simple as when paramedics come onto a scene where there's trauma they got it down to a science where they're like, okay, they got hit by a car. We're going to hold C-spine and put them in a C-collar because we know now that like the chances of them recovering are this percent better yeah. if we just do that one thing. you know, it's, it's, It all kind of comes full circle to your point of you have – if the person st- – somebody probably spent their entire life studying – that or pieces bits and pieces like tiny little pieces of that yeah. and when they probably started studying that if their vision was garbage like <laughs> they wouldn't be able to read as well they wouldn't be able to work as much they wouldn't be able to research as much and like what how did you know how did they get to that point yeah 
that was another thing about being a science major. And you, when you get assigned to an an advisor, you can kind of, at some certain points in college, change advisors, sometimes based on what research projects you want to work on, sometimes based on what your thesis is going to be, all those sorts of things. But we had one of my professors, he spent like the last decade studying HMG CoA reductase inhibitors, which is better known as statins. Okay. Which Lipitor, um, Crestor, Simvastatin, you might have heard these terms. It, it's like there. a blood pressure. It's a it's a cholesterol or cholesterol. Product. Okay, mm-hmm. gotcha, gotcha. And these products, at least twenty, you know, 2010, 2012, right in that that area when I was starting research, like those products had been on the market for some time, and he was still researching them try and figure out how to make them better yeah this is just one drug one mechanism within a certain part here and a certain thing here and how do we manipulate this there and how is that going to change like all the back work to even get to the point where maybe we have a viable product okay now how do we make that into something that somebody can take we have the product but is it stable enough like does it um, is it volatile which literally means does it convert into a gas in a short amount of time yeah it does it is the product stable as a tablet does it need to be a capsule does it need to be a solution does it need to be injected like people don't understand i didn't even understand the amount of work that it takes just to get the drug in the first place but then to make it stable enough so that somebody can take it as a tablet and then figure out the right dosing so that it's oh it's every day or every week or every month or you know yada 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 anyway just thinking about he spent at that time about a decade just researching that one mechanism within the liver how are we going to manipulate cholesterol synthesis yeah and and what he researches for his entire academic career might not make any impact on the the drug scope. So what you were saying earlier is somebody could spend their whole life doing something and trying to figure something out and they might be wrong. Right. And like that still counts. That still counts for something. Like you can't totally. discount what Absolutely. they did. Um, but yeah, like, like how many people were wrong about certain things and then, you know, they kind of get weeded out and the people who are correct kind of go and then there's still people failing. And that, that's, what's crazy to me about the human race is it's like, it's gotten to this point where, you know, the world's so connected and everyone helps each other out with these things. And your, who was it? Your teacher that was doing it that? It was one of my professors. One yeah. of your professors. He probably went to conferences oh. about that one thing and there were a hundred other people doing the same <laughs> yeah. thing he was doing. Probably. That's crazy. Yeah. That's so crazy to and me. And he had, you know, student, he would have at least one or two, maybe even three students every single year in his lab studying that so yeah. we had you know sophomores juniors and seniors at helping them out with stuff yeah and... learning doing experiments adjusting tweaking this try it again using equipment that is hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah you know and he's got a he's constantly writing grants and he's got to write papers and um i mean that's that's not what i ended up studying but it uh it was a similar situation for my advisor we were actually studying water filtration and fluoride levels and it was a similar thing though she had studied this for years and years and years and years and she had to keep writing papers and getting funding and keep innovating and keep recruiting students and and it's wild i just think i academia is a 
trip, man. I truly think people get so narrow-minded and put their blinders on and they'll like, you know, I mean, I think things are super fascinating and I try to engage with people and like tell them like, you should look this up and like watch a video on YouTube about it or like read a Wikipedia article because it's fucking crazy. It's nuts. Like yeah. these rabbit holes you can go down and learn about stuff that humans have figured out. But some people look at that and they're like, oh, algebra is boring. And it's like, do you know what people went through to figure out algebra? They went through so much stuff right. to figure that out. Yeah. I don't so know. We could all be in a better position to make better buildings, make yeah. safer structures, like just be more intelligent and figure things out logically yeah. and put things. Yeah. I don't right. know. I And I've, I feel like I've, you know, the first part of my life I wanted to make such an impact and like be a part of things and you know be a person that figured something out or actually like contributed an innovative thing to something but like I'm almost to the point now where I I just want to learn about stuff like it's fascinating to me and what's what's almost depressing to me now is there's so much stuff to learn that I'm not going to learn at all by the time I die right you know but I don't know. You can go down certain rabbit holes. Like we were talking about electrical earlier. Who figured out the atom and electrons and how to get a current going one direction? And oh yeah, I mean Edison and Tesla. I, we know their names for for right. you know a reason. But there's probably a thousand other people that maybe have tiny little credits here and there, but otherwise people. And I mean, shit, I took more science classes than I can even count in college. And I don't remember half those people's names. And yeah. They made huge impacts. And yeah. it's just, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's cool. It's, it is more fun now that I think you and I have talked about this a lot before, but it's interesting how we both went to school for our respective things. And then we come out and how much of that we actually use in day to day <coughs> is really not that much, but that doesn't take away from what we learned and how we go back and appreciate that sort of stuff and what it took for us to get to that point where we can know that stuff. Yeah. And then also look back on it and actually really value that stuff or other topics that we want to learn more about. And just yeah. Like now career is, you know, in as much as we can figure it's figured out, we, stable jobs, have homes, have wives, everything's kind of settled down. Like now I can learn about stuff that I really am interested in yeah. or I can relearn things that I know I learned before about renal function and go back and be like, Oh yeah, the glomerulus and look at this, the afferent arterial and the efferent arterial. And here's where sodium goes. Yeah. And here's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's cool. And yeah. I enjoy learning a lot. I'm always, I get crap sometimes from Claire because we'll just be talking about something and then, and then I'll say something and be like, well, I used to remember this and blah, blah, blah. And then she goes, you're going to look that up, aren't yeah, you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's fun. I I don't know. I, I shit on college a lot because, you know, they force you to take a lot of these classes that a lot of people probably aren't interested in. Or, I mean, you got your pharmacy degree and you got your MBA, but I'm sure at some point you had to take like a theater class or something, something that just did not matter at yeah, all. Jazz history. Oh yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the same point too, like I think humanities are important. I think people should learn about the history of the world. Like we learned 
you know, I don't know what they call it, Western Civ or some of that stuff in high school and then American politics. But I think we were too either too young to learn about it or yeah. I think I, I truly, truly believe, and I hope the person isn't listening to this, I think we had a shitty teacher that taught us about uh, world history. Oh. oh, did you pull out your... If you want to plug it back in. But um, what I was going to say is is like... <sighs> It's just sad to me that I think a lot of that stuff is wasted on minds that are probably interested in other things. And like, I think throughout middle school, throughout high school, like maybe it's more beneficial to teach other things and then introduce, you know, some of the trades or like basic chemistry and basic like physics a little bit later or something. I don't know. And maybe I'm just talking about myself because I was interested in, totally different things when I was in high school, but yeah, it's true. There's, there's a lot of real world stuff that I think we're preaching to the choir. I think most people say this, that there's a lot of real world stuff that you don't really learn in school. You know, how do you prepare your taxes? Yeah. How do you get a mortgage? Yeah. What is, what does that process look like? Uh, I mean, unless you're somebody that just magically stumbles upon (laughs) half a million dollars and buys a house. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, there's so many things that you, Thankfully, I have parents that teach me those types of things and and friends and mentors and everybody to lean on, but not everybody has that luxury and well, like, it'd be nice to have something like that. Okay. I wasn't, I wasn't, I don't know, 27 years old or 26 years old when I first heard about the federal interest rate. Like <laughs> why, why did we not learn about that in high school? Like, I don't even, I still couldn't tell you like why it goes up, why it goes down. I mean- People agree on certain things. Right now, it's really good because it's super low. Yeah, you know, cheap. but a lot of things are based off of that. Yeah. Like there's certain things that you you think, you know, how to vote or like how. I mean, I, this is one of the things that I think the reason the reason I think we had a shitty U.S. history teacher in high school was because when they taught us about like the House and the Senate and how elections work and how the Constitution set up. It was taught in such a boring way that like, it's like, well, why does this even matter to me? But like, I think a good teacher could take that stuff and say, hey, back in the day, like you had to not provide for your family, but you had to help out with your parents and you would have been working on the farm and stuff and certain things would have affected your family and you probably couldn't wait until you turned 18 so you could vote and have your you know, your voice heard because it would affect things like in your household, like truly affect things in your household. And now it's gotten to the point. I don't know if it's, there's so many people in the United States or whatever, but people just don't give a shit anymore. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. And, and I know I've said this on the podcast before, but I think teaching world war one senior year of high school, they should do that because, there were kids that were 16 and 17 years old fighting in World War One. Yeah, how crazy is that? It's nuts. It's, it's just crazy. The the average age of of soldier back in those times versus the average age, you know, in World War Two or yeah. where we are where we are now. It's just it's it's a different perspective. Millions, millions of 17 year olds died in World War One. Can you imagine running around with a gun that? you don't may or may not work. No. Yeah. It may or may not be reliable following orders from somebody that may or may not be, have all the information. They Two need years to older make. than you. Yeah. Like a 19 year old. Yeah, that, that may or may not be making decisions that 
are founded on basically no intelligence or a hunch yeah and just hoping for the best yeah. and you know it it's that's what's it's crazy to think about that it, it's crazy to me i mean you know i think this can be applied to the the hive mentality of figuring things out and like how many people it takes to figure out how many nodes there are in the heart or whatever like that kind of stuff um but when i look back about when i look back and i read about battles about like the napoleonic wars or world war 1 that kind of stuff or war of 1812 so many people were used as tiny little pawns it's like you can't look at the individual like if you get down to that micro level that same story can be told a thousand times, you know, with sure. little tweaks here and there, but they tell the stories about these giant battles because like the, the individual lives didn't really matter. I mean, it's weird. Like True. the human race is like this huge giant thing. It's not about the individual. And like, when you start to think about that, it is kind of depressing. Yeah. It's kind of sad, but uh, I don't know. That's why like, that's why I'm trying to enjoy shit as much as possible because you know, it's finite and, Oh, I'm not. I'm not gonna have any buildings named after me yeah, or anything like yeah, that. Like yeah. I'm just looking to enjoy my time and make the most out of everything. And yeah, it's you know, for sure. Yeah, I wish I knew more about. I I the other thing about learning really a lot of things in school, but history especially. I think that I didn't gain as much of an appreciation of it until I was more of an adult. Yeah. And so I'm sure there were times where there were definitely some history teachers we had in high school that I definitely despise. And I think I know who you're talking about. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, there was some of it that I didn't appreciate as much until I got out in the world and said, for example, we, we graduated and we're still in Afghanistan and Iraq. Right. And like understanding middle Eastern politics and even, Israel and Palestine and things like that that we probably learned or maybe we learned, but I don't remember learning. Dude, and I, then, that's probably like Israel and Palestine is probably something we should know. Yeah. And I don't remember ever learning about no, it. And, and maybe we did, but it's just, I didn't actually gain an appreciation for what all, all the different factions, all the, the different ideologies, the history behind it and, and what they've done and who they've killed and who they haven't. And, what walls are up and all those sorts of things until maybe I was a little bit older and either you meet somebody that it's personally affected or you understand more about some people that have died recently because of it, or you, you better understand. I mean, I took, um, well, we took comparative religions in, in high school and I went to Catholic university and one of the best classes I ever took was, uh, I was a junior and I took Islam Oh. And it was taught by a Catholic Jesuit priest who had his PhD in Islamic studies. Wow. And he was from Kenya. One of the greatest classes I ever took because to have that knowledge of like, this is a Catholic school and I'm a Catholic priest, but I grew up in a, in a country that has a, that has a ton of Muslim people and I'm an expert on Islam. Yeah. And then learning about why they think, some of the things that they think and why this has become this and what the Sunni, the difference between the Sunnis and the Shiites are and yeah. where that all originated from. And then taking that back and then taking that to other parts of the country and being like, Oh, well now this makes so much more sense. Why this is so contentious. And now this makes so much more sense. Why there's still war here. And uh, yeah. just there's more perspective 
that you gain that makes that education more valuable. I would say the same thing about my MBA is it took me a couple of years to finish it because I was doing pharmacy at the same time. And it wasn't until I was really in the working world where I was like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. You were learning it in class and I'm thinking, oh, I remember when such and such happened and now I understand why they phrased it this way or I understand why this was classified this way or I understand why this was in the report and this was not. And yeah. And so there's a lot of context that I feel like you miss as a high school student or even as a college student sometimes that maybe you're living, you're living in such a tiny little world where it's yeah. like, Oh, high school football and like right. my family and my small girlfriend. Group of yeah. My <laughs> girlfriend. And like, that's the only stuff that matters. And yeah. you haven't, like when you're 16 or 17 years old, you haven't been exposed to that. You know, you haven't really traveled and you haven't talked to people from different backgrounds and stuff. Right. You're living in that tiny little circle. Whereas like once you get to college, I feel like it, you know, you start to get exposed a little bit more to certain things. And right. Um, yeah. I don't know. I didn't know you took that class. That's awesome. Oh, dude, it was the coolest class. I I will never forget that class. I, I mean, I, Took a lot of cool ones, but that was definitely one that I always remember. And yeah. Just took so much away from it. And it was highly recommended by other people. So I was eager to get into it and happy that I got it. Yeah. Especially because of the Islamophobia and, you know, everything that's going around in the political situation. Just to get a better understanding of, well, what does it really mean when people say jihad? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, oh, it's, it's not just I'm going to go blow up a building. Like it literally means personal struggle. And then it's just been blown into this completely different thing where if you say jihad to the average American, they're like, oh, that means that you're out to like kill Americans yeah. and blow up a building. That's not it at all. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so it's, yeah, perspective is, is huge. And unfortunately, I think that just comes with getting older and learning things and meeting people and yeah. having conversations with people. See, and I, I would love to take a class like that because I think Christianity is the biggest religion on earth i believe i don't know and probably and islam is the second and i think that there's three billion islamic people in the world and it's like okay if there's three billion people that believe a certain ideology like maybe we should learn about it and like <laughs> yeah. understand it a little bit and not just immediately condemn it yeah yeah, yeah. and then um what's crazy to me too because i i tend to look at things on a macro level and it and i think that's part of like what makes me a little sad sometimes it's like how crazy evolution is and like why things are the way they are now and how you know people get so i don't know they get so dialed into the micro level that they forget to look at the macro level and it's like why why are things like this but like the abrahamic religions like judaism christianity islam they're all extremely similar trace back to the same marriage. The one thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's like, okay, do you, do you realize like why all of you care about Jerusalem? Like there's a reason, <laughs> like you all used to be the same people yeah. and you disagreed on some stuff and now you all hate each other. Right. I don't know. It's just, it's like, I don't know. It, it's bizarre to me that within this day and age, the stuff we understand about history, the stuff we understand about like evolution that there's still these crazy disagreements about things. It's just weird to me. Yeah. And I like to look at things objectively and like, you know, I know, I mean, I could talk about this all day about how like I'm objective about things, but I know like my own personal biases affect certain things and how I look at things. But you know, 
if I went over to the Middle East, I'd say like, dude, what are you guys doing? But you yeah. know, I haven't lived she there. Can't, I, she I, can't show her face. Like, yeah, what's that yeah. all about? Well, I have. I haven't grown up in, in that world, and yeah. you know, maybe some people aren't exposed to certain information, or they don't care about certain information, or whatever it is. Um, you know, it's being idealistic about things, I guess. But yeah, um, I also struggle too because it's like, even if. I was born one state away or five states away or in Argentina or Brazil. Well, those are not very good examples because I grew up Catholic, but let's say I was born in Thailand or you yeah. or I don't know, Germany, whatever. Yeah. You could be from, you could be in five different you know religions in all those different places. Yeah. And, you would have different perspectives on the way the world work and what makes what you think the right way. Like, can't we just agree to disagree and just be like, all right, well, you know, I don't really think that makes a whole lot of sense, but also can't we just get along? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Do we really need to kill each other over this? This is crazy. I don't know, man. It's yeah, it's bizarre, but, uh, I, I feel like we're saving the world right now, but uh, <laughs> we're an hour and 43 minutes okay. in. So um, I'm going to give you the opportunity. I just want to say you're one of my best friends, and I'm. it's awesome oh, that we can... you're one of my best friends. <laughs> well, it's awesome that we can get together and drink bourbon and hang out, and it's like no time has passed. Yeah, it's no, awesome. I love that. So um, I'm going to give you the final word, and then we're going to cut this thing off. Awesome, so. man. No, thanks for having me here. I appreciate being back here and love being your friend. You're a good dude, man. Right. Love you guys. Um <laughs> Gosh, I don't know. The I guess I just reiterate what I had said before is getting older, you know, gosh, I'm all of 30 years old. I just as much as I love my job and I don't get me wrong, I love making money. Um there's so much to be said about spending time with family and enjoying the time you have. Parents are getting older. Um things change on a dime and and just enjoy it, you know call your parents and tell them you love them and spend time with your siblings and reach out to family members that you haven't seen in a while and and say hi, because, uh, it makes a big difference and it's nice to hear from those folks. So awesome. All right. That's all I got. I love it. Okay. We're done. (laughs) 